Tom. It's good to have you with us as we worship God together here today. If you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this piece of paper in your bulletin, drop it in the bucket on your way out, and we will follow up with you accordingly. Um, Also, uh, later in the service during the time of offering, if you are in need of prayer while you are here, there will be members of our prayer team available in the back corner of the room to pray with you and for you uh, for whatever you need. Hey, Allie, it's good to have you home. Calvin, Wesley, welcome back. Who else? Tatum, I didn't even see you back there. How you doing? Good. Who'd I miss? No way. No way. The long lost Luke Mitchell. How you doing? Where are you? California now? Why? It's a military thing. Yes. All right. Things are going well? You got some grease under your fingernails now? Yes? What? You do? Good. You're turning wrenches now? Too many. I'll bet you have some nice wrenches, though. (laughs) All right. Good, good. All right. It's like a little homecoming weekend. This is great. They'll be here in December. Yeah. Yes. um, I just rolled in last night from East Tennessee. And I always always make fun of East Tennessee because it's, of rednecks and I am so at home there it's just like it's it's crazy I I just it's so beautiful and uh, those are my people I just you know just chess pie and just all the food that's terrible for you is right there in one place it was great Um, but uh, I I uh, I should get back to what we're doing here so Yes, your, your pastor is back and a little fatter than he was when he left, but that's what Thanksgiving is all about. Um, let's see, several things going on around here. Uh, we are going to decorate after the service today. It looks like some uh, servant saint has already gotten many of the decorations down. Uh, there will be a gathering of anyone who wants to uh, at the garden shed behind our pr- at the back of our property after the service, and we'll be pulling out various members of the Holy Family and their accoutrement and taking them up to the front of the church and reassembling our nativity scene. So that will be happening uh, outside, while others who choose to decorate inside uh, wear themselves out. Uh, what does it take, about 15 minutes? Many hands make light work. Plan to stick around. We'd love to have you, and we'll uh, get it get it a little Christmassy in here. A um, couple things coming up on this coming Saturday. There is a free performance by a community uh, choir and orchestra of Handel's Oratorio, The Messiah, and that's on Saturday at 4 o'clock on December the 3rd. Uh, if you want to carpool, let Lois know, and you can, you can beat the parking game that way. Um, let Lois know if you're going at all. That'd be good. If you're planning on going, let Lois know so we can try to at least sit together or something. Um, and then 
a week from then, there will be a youth group Christmas party starting at 3 o'clock right here. Uh, there will be, we will um, gather together the gifts that we are giving to Blueprint families. We will send out some information on that uh, here this week so that you know if you want to participate, you can. But I think we buy, like, what is it, blankets and other things and a ham or whatnot and an HEB gift card or something like that. And we'll, we'll send out a sign-up genius that you can look and see what you want to do. And then our youth will deliver those gifts to the families whose homes they fixed up this past summer here in San Antonio. Um, so there's a little bit of relational continuity there. Um, and then they'll come back here and uh, have a Christmas party. There'll be a uh, sock exchange. They don't actually take the sock off their own foot and exchange it. It's, it's a Christmas sock with things in it. You get the idea. Uh, no uh, foot fungus will be exchanged in this event. Um, at least I hope not. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> Sometimes I say what I'm thinking, and it's never good. Yeah, okay, we'll keep going. Um, all right, there are some other Christmas-related events that are coming up, uh, but I haven't nailed down the dates yet with key people, so we're going um, to withhold that for now until we have a firm day for things like the Women's Ornament Exchange. Um, but that may actually occur the, uh, the evening of the 11th after the youth group Christmas party. So we may end the youth group Christmas party a little. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'll let you know uh, when I'm told. Yes, that's what we'll do. Um, all right. What else? I think that's good for now. Let's have all of the important people come down to the front. If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time before you go to Hope for Kids. Good morning. We have critters with us today. Is that a kangaroo? What else do you have? A dinosaur? All right. And that is a sheep. It's a llama or a yama. A talking yama and a pink sea turtle. All right. And you have a seahawk on your shirt, whatever that is. Is that like a wet chicken? <laughs> Sorry. I you like the Seahawks? Good. You're not alone. We have other Seahawks fans in the church that you're not related to. So, all right. Okay. So, why? Do you know who Jesus' parents were? Do you know who Jesus' parents were? Do you know who his mom was? She's only the most important woman in the history of the world. Anyone? Nobody? All right, I'm going to give you his dad's name, Joseph. Joseph and still nothing. Was it Mary? Was it Sylvia? Gladys? Thelma? No, was it Mary? Yes. Jesus' mother's name was Mary. 
And let's see, why did Joseph and Mary choose to name their son Jesus? Why did they call him Jesus? No idea? Well, here, I'm going to read you a verse from the Bible. And this is right after an angel appears to Mary, and this is what the angel says. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So why did they name their son Jesus? Because the angel said, you're going to call him Jesus. Now, that means that God gave Jesus his name. He sent the angel to deliver the message. Of what, so why do you think God would name that baby Jesus? Do you know what Jesus means? So Jesus comes from a very old word that means God saves. God saves. That's what his name means, right? So if Jesus was a baby and his name was God saves and he came to save the world, what does that mean about who Jesus is? If he's the one who's going to save, and his name says God saves, who is Jesus? He's God, right? If his name is God saves, and he's the one who came to save us, that means that he is God. That's pretty awesome. Right? So God was born just like you and I were born. He was born as a little bitty baby, and he came into the world to save us from our sins, to bring us forgiveness and grace and love and eternal life. All right. You get it? I think you got it. Can we pray? Can you, can you make the kangaroo bow his head? Oh, I think his head is bowed. All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for these children, for the gift that they are to our lives, to our church, to our families. We pray your blessing on them as they study more of your word and hope for kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of how much you love them. We pray your blessing over them and over all of our time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. Join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning. God, our loving Father, we come before you now, and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us this morning by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, that we might become more and more the men and women of God that you created us to be through our encounter with you here this morning. Lord, we give you all of the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins, our failures, our disappointments, our griefs, and we lay them at the foot of your cross. We thank you for the forgiveness and grace and peace and comfort that are ours through your son, Jesus Christ. We 
pray for those whom we know and love who are sick. We pray your healing mercies upon them. We pray especially this morning for John Davern as he recovers from a little uh, heart scare. And we just pray your healing over him. Use the doctors and nurses and technicians involved in his diagnosis and treatment to get him back to where he needs to be. And we just pray your healing mercies over him. We lift up our country at every level of government, elected and appointed. We pray for our leaders that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We pray for the men and women who wear uniforms to protect and defend our Constitution and the freedoms we enjoy as Americans. We pray your blessing over them and their families. We ask that you would watch out especially for those who are in harm's way, that you would bring them home safely. And Lord, we pray for those who've returned home from their service changed as a result of the sacrifices they've made. And we pray your healing over them, mind, body, and soul. Use us, your church, to minister your grace and your peace to their hearts. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world, and we pray that your word would continue to go forth through your people, that it would not return to you empty. We pray for the churches we are connected to through our denomination and through our missions giving in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Kamahuani, Cuba, in Havana, Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East. And we just pray your continued blessing over all of those works of your spirit in those places. We lift up the church plants in Texas that are ongoing in Katy, in New Braunfels, in Austin, and in Dallas, and we just pray your blessing over those young works. We pray that you would be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we are beginning an Advent series this morning because, well, it's Advent. Uh, this is the time of year that uh, we sort of look forward to the Christmas season. To be all technical, Advent goes from today until Christmas Eve, and then that ushers in this, the church calendar season of Christmas, which lasts for 12 days, well done, which would culminate in the Sunday following that 12th day uh, in the Sunday that is traditionally, it's a fancy Latin word, it's called epiphany, and it's just the word that's used to describe the arrival of the wise men at the birthplace of Jesus. Uh, of course, this didn't all take place in that time period. Mary was pregnant for much longer than the end of November till December 25th, and Jesus probably wasn't born in December anyway, but that's not important right now. Um, so... Let me just give you a little bit of background. We, we have a church member who recently lost his wife, uh, John Dunn, and she had a long battle with dementia. And at the beginning of COVID, uh, she had to go into a memory care facility, and John was very isolated and alone, and he decided that what he was going to do was dive into God's word during his time of just waiting and not being able to see his wife and just the heartbreak of all of that. And it occurred to him at some point in his, in his journey that there were all these different ways that the Bible refers to our God. 
all these different names, if you will, of who God is and, and that reveal aspects of his character, etc. So John is an accountant by training. He thinks in boxes, right? And so every time he got to a new description of who God is in the Bible, he would put it in a box. And then the next time he got to that description, he would check the box again, and he counted up all the different ways in which the Bible refers to who God is, and we'll call those in general the names of God, and then he started counting the references in the Old Testament and the New Testament and in different sections of the Old Testament and each book of the Bible and how it referenced, and it was just this kind of growing, and at one point he sent me the spreadsheet, and I thought, oh, this will be neat, and I opened it up and I was like, wow. Wow. A, wow that he spent that much time and effort just engaged in Scripture. B, wow in terms of how many ways the Bible approaches who God is and and tries to reveal aspects of his character. Um, And it makes sense if you think about it. Like we have this infinite God and we have finite minds. And so how do we approach the uh, infinitude of our creator, well, by throwing all kinds of ideas and aspects of his nature uh, at our hearts and minds to try to open us up to get God out of the box we try to keep him in, if you're like me, um, and let him be God Almighty, right? That's the idea, to expand who he is, his glory, etc., in our own hearts and in our own minds. And so that journey, I, I looked at what John sent me, and I said, there's a youth group summer, summer sermon series in here somewhere. And so we gave each of our youth the opportunity to look at some of those names of God, look at some of the struggles in their own lives, and kind of say, which of these names speak to you the most? And then we developed that summer sermon series this past summer on the names of God with our youth. We did that in youth group Bible study this past spring. Um, this is a really long explanation. Uh, so then we, uh, what was the last sermon series we did? I can't remember anymore. Unveiled. We did nameless women in the Bible and what they revealed about the heart of God. Thank you. Um, and now we're taking a look at the names of Jesus. We're calling this series Baby Names because it's Christmas. It's about his birth. And so we're going to start this exploration with Uh, just the verse that I read to the kids from Luke chapter 1, verse 31, and we're just going to, this is going to be really different from what I normally do. I normally pick one passage of the Bible, and I try to stay there. We're going to go, we're going to be everywhere today. No extra charge. Just, you know, there you go. All right? So, from the gospel of Luke, (laughs) who's here to, to hear it? This is great. All right. Um, chapter 1, verse 31, the angel has appeared to the Virgin Mary to give her the great news that as an unwed 15-year-old, she's going to be, or ish, we don't know her exact age, uh, she's about to be pregnant. Yeah, thank you. Way to go. All right, so this is what the angel, this is part of what the angel says to her. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. All right. 
in English or in Spanish, it's spelled the same, Jesus, Jesus, just because they say it wrong, it's not important. Just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, the way they pronounce it is much closer to his actual name than the way we pronounce it, so I'll give you that. Um, but we have the name Jesus. This is what's called a transliteration when you take a foreign word or name and you just use your alphabet to approximate the pronunciation of it without trying to translate it, which would mean you were trying to relay the meaning of it. So we're going to go from the, the transliteration, the way it sounds, uh, up into its meaning, like what it meant that the angel gave Jesus this name. So we start with the English or the Spanish Jesus, Jesus, which comes from the Greek, which is the language Luke was writing in, which is spelled Jesus. That's I-E, and the E is pronounced like an A, Jesus, which will take us back to the Hebrew, which, bear with me for a second, Yehoshua is a really bad pronunciation of that name in English, but we're, we're gringos, most of us, so we're going to roll with it. Um, and Yehoshua is the Old Testament name Joshua. So what the angel probably said to Mary in her native tongue was, his name shall be Yehoshua. We don't know what the angel actually said because Luke only gives us the Greek transliteration of Jesus. But if you go back to the book of Joshua where his name first appears, it's Yehoshua. All right. That literally translates. It's the, you see the Y and the H at the beginning of Yehoshua? That's an abbreviation for the name of God, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the name that God gave to Moses from the burning bush. And so it means that God, the one true God of the universe, is salvation. So it's the combination of the word God and the word for salvation in Hebrew. That's where we get the butchering of his name that we say Jesus. All right? So this name that the angel gives. Now, this is, a, this is not an uncommon Jewish name to name your child Joshua, all right, or Yehoshua. Um, because in any other instance, that child would be a testimony to the fact that the one true God is the God who brings salvation to our hearts and to our lives. In this case, God says through his angel to the baby's mother, his name shall be Yehoshua, this is a very strong implication that the baby is actually also God. So the name literally means salvation, or this child will bring salvation, with the implication that this child is God himself. So this is a big name, right? It comes with, with two big pieces, the fact that the child is God himself and that the child will bring salvation to the people of God. All right, so that brings up the question, what is this salvation? Where does this idea come from? Why is this a name? Why is this a baby name? So we're going to jump back to Psalm 14, just the first part of verse 7, where the, the psalmist says, 
he cries out, oh, that salvation would come out of Zion. There was this understanding that the Old Testament predicted the salvation of the world and that that salvation would come through the Jewish people. And there was a point in the Old Testament after this psalm was written where Israel was wiped out by Babylon militarily and politically and all of God's people, the Israelites, were carted off either into enslavement or exile or just cast out of their homeland. And it looked as though all of those promises would never be fulfilled, that the, the hope had died. And, but this idea that out of the people of God, a Savior would come. This is a very old, uh, what we call the Old Testament idea. All right, that salvation must come from a Jew, from a Jewish person. It's going to come from the Jewish context. Um, so let me jump over to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9, where it says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. In other words, everyone needs salvation. Another way to put it, is what Jesus has come to do is the one thing I could never do for myself. I could never uh, divinely forgive my own sins. I have a problem. It's called sin. I'm really good at it. Um, uh, I get comments periodically. Every once in a while, someone gets on our website and reads my bio which begins with Tom Masterson, an accomplished sinner, and then the rest of it, right? And unfortunately, I hate to be the one to tell you this, you have the same problem I do, right? We collectively are sinful. Our hearts are not right. We think bad things. We do bad things. We are not holy and pure in and of ourselves. We need someone to deal with our sin and we can't we can't take away our own sin that's not how it works and so the old testament the bible understands this concept of sin the problem of sin psalm 79 verse 9 help us O god of our salvation for the glory of your name deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake this passage gives us a little window into the two sides of the coin of salvation. One of those, well, so that salvation comes by deliverance and atonement. That These two things are necessary together in the idea of salvation. They are linked in this concept. So, Let's deal first with this idea of deliverance. If you, if you look up the word deliver in the Old Testament, it is a constant refrain. Deliver us from evil, the, uh, the Jesus says in the New Testament. Deliver, delivery from our sins, etc. This idea that we are to be delivered or we need to be delivered, what, is it, what does that mean? We're going to look at that from Psalm 56 verse 13, where it says, For you, 
have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Deliverance means salvation from death. That is specifically, if, if, you, were, if you were living, I don't know, 4,000 years ago, and the word deliverance was used in a sentence, the, the inevitable implication was that that deliverance would be from death itself. That's the idea. That's the concept of what deliverance is from. And so this is a very ancient idea. It is a very um, important idea that deliverance means salvation from death. And to extend that, it means restoration to life. Deliverance means restoration to life, that we go from a state of fearing death to a state of living in the light of God's love. That's, that's the idea. It's a total and complete reversal of our situation spiritually. All right. So the angel says to Mary, your son will be called the God that God is salvation. Salvation has two parts, deliverance from death and this other aspect of atonement that we saw in Psalm 79 verse 9, deliver us and atone for our sins. I want to turn and look at this idea of atonement really quick. Actually, I jumped ahead. I've got one more passage to get through before we get to atonement. Forgive me. I don't preach like this every Sunday. I'm jumping around. It's, you know, I'm too ADD for this. Um, or maybe this is how I should. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, let me jump to Romans 6, 23 real quick. This is the Apostle Paul talking to a young church in a city he's never been to, and he's trying to help them understand the dynamics of salvation. And he says, the wages of sin, this is Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul understood that it's Jesus who delivers us from death and gives us eternal life. I'm just trying to bring that deliverance idea to its conclusion as a very uh, well-trained Jewish mind in the first century, the Apostle Paul, would have understood it. This is a very clear articulation of that deliverance. Paul, Paul has these ideas embedded in who he is. And so he says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This idea that Jesus delivers us from death and gives us eternal life. That's the idea or the concept of deliverance. Now we will turn to the idea of atonement. And I'm going to take you back to the book of Leviticus. And this is, this is in the, one of the, it's one of the first five books of the Bible. So it's in the books of Moses. It is written around the same time that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And it is a book that sort of explains how the Old Testament sacrificial system is supposed to work. So when you sin, not if you sin, but when you sin, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to get 
an animal, lay your hands on its head, take it to the altar, and have it sacrificed. And why? Why is that necessary? God's trying to get a point across to his people that the wages of sin is death. Your sin uh, is going to necessitate the death of someone. And because of God's grace, that someone is not you. It's another. And so here in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, is a very critical idea that will play directly into the, the fulfillment of Jesus or Jesus' fulfillment of all of these Old Testament laws and sacrifices. This is uh, from Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Atonement is the cleansing from sin that allows us to go from death to life. Our sin, the wages of sin is death, necessitates the death of another. And that, when that is applied to us, we live. Um, We're going to do a a series in the new year. We're going to do two series that I think will be interesting. One is we're just going to try to crystallize the Old Testament in, in sort of seven Sundays. No big deal. Just the whole Old Testament in seven Sundays. It's not a summary. It's a look at these, at these sort of crystallized ideas of what God was trying to communicate to his people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, how it all points to Christ. Then we're going to, on, on the, the, Jewish, the Sunday of the Jewish festival of Purim, that's celebrated in the book of Esther. It's a celebration of the deliverance that Esther brought to the people of God um, We're going to celebrate that Jewish festival, and then we're going to spend a few Sundays looking at the different Jewish festivals that are written in the Old Testament, and particularly this idea of the Day of Atonement in the book of Leviticus and what that means and its implications and the ways in which Christ fulfilled all of those scriptures and all of those requirements of the law. But suffice to say that this is all related. This is all part of the same plan that God had to convince his people that not only do they have a sin problem, but he has a grace solution to that problem. And it involves the death of one for the life of another. Atonement is a cleansing from sin that involves the death of one to give life to another. John 1, 29 uh, John the Baptist is baptizing people, and in walks Jesus, <laughs> and John immediately reckoned, they're cousins, by the way, they knew each other, um, and uh, John immediately recognizes, like, oh, here's, here, here's the one, right? And this is what John says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist recognized that Jesus is the one 
who will make atonement for our sin. So we have a sin problem. It needs atonement, and one will be assigned the job of atoning for our sin. So the reason that it takes Jesus is, is fairly simple, right? So let's say, let's say that, um, I don't know, who wants to be condemned by a judge to death? Anyone? Anyone? Any volunteers? Miguel. All right. So let's say that Miguel, Miguel was going before a judge and he was being condemned to death. And I stepped in and I said, I will take his punishment. Let him go free. Do it to me as you would have done it to him. Right? That would be a substitution of justice. And it probably wouldn't count as justice, really. But anyway, um, which is hypothetical. And so Miguel goes free. And then I get to death row and I see all these other lovely people that are facing the same fate. And I go back to the judge and I say, hey, I want to substitute myself for all of these. And the judge would go, no, it's a one-for-one deal, right? One human for one human. The reason that Jesus needed to be God or that God became human is because that that makes his sacrifice infinitely applicable. In other words, because he is the eternal one true God who is now human and he's offering that human life, that infinite, infinite being can apply that death to anyone, right? So not just Miguel, but all of us can be forgiven through that one sacrifice. That's, that's why it's so important that this baby is God. And that's why the implication of the name that the angel gave Mary is so strong. And so I want to take us a little farther into the Gospel of John. And Jesus is trying to explain something to his unfortunate disciples. And much to their chagrin and the, and the confusion of those around him, he says, truly, truly, this is John 6, 53, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those, my friends, are strong words. Those are very strong words. And it freaks some people out. And some people went, yeah, we can't do this, and they left, right? Because they didn't understand the implication of what he was saying. But Jesus understood clearly and fully this idea of atonement that his life could be given to cleanse the sins of God's people and bring life to literally millions. Okay. Jesus' blood both delivers us from death and his physical death gives us spiritual life. That's, that's the way it works. His blood provides cleansing and deliverance, and his physical death is what brings us spiritual or eternal life. John 1, 7. I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 7. Always important to catch that little one, because if you're trying to read the verse and you're in the wrong book, it's going to get confusing pretty quick. Anyway. 
1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John fully understood that Jesus was the one, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, that by his blood we are cleansed, we are healed, we are made whole. I'm going to read you a, a short uh, little clip out of Philippians chapter 2, just verses 8 through 11, and we'll end with this. And being found in human form, this is talking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have this beautiful articulation by the Apostle Paul who understood all of these concepts of deliverance and atonement and their role in salvation. And he just nails it. And he says that the, the basic final point here is to do what the shepherds did. To do what the wise men did. Is to do what is the right thing to do when you are before the one true God who is salvation himself. It is to bow down. It is to worship. It is to bow down before Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. And I, I want to I emphasize something here. That you might be saying, well, I did that. I did that 30 years ago, 5 years ago, a few months ago, whatever. I still need to do that. I need to bow down before Jesus, the God who saves, who is salvation, because I'll just tell you, there, in that posture of bowing down before God, we are equal. We are brothers and sisters. No one's any better than anyone else. And if I don't return to that place, to that posture, to that adoration of his work in my life, then I'm going, to, I'm going to become arrogant. I'm going to think that either I deserve it, or I've got this, or I'm better than you, or whatever. And so just keep going back to that place where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we... We give you our hearts in the reality of our sin, our disobedience to your word, our striving and conflict with each other. And we come before you as our Lord and as our Savior. We bow our knees before your throne. And recognize that you are the God who saves. That you are the God who loves. Who redeems. 
who forgives, who atones through a death that brought us life. Lord, we do not deserve this gift. And yet, you chose to bestow it upon us. And so, keep us in the truth and humility of that gesture. That you humbled yourself to come to this earth to offer your Son as the Lamb of Atonement to deliver us from our sins and restore us to light and life and hope eternal. Lord, may this truth draw us back to your heart each and every day. May we grow closer to who you are through the work of your Son, Jesus, to know that God is salvation. This we pray in his name.